Hey everyone, and welcome to the season one finale of the Real Deep Cuts podcast, episode 10. This is going to be a good one. We cut right into the source of our maddening deep cut rabbit hole, the terror. Then we'll conclude our three-part game series, Greenlight, with one big final round. After that, we'll discuss some other things we watched throughout the week. My name is Raymond. And my name is Jeremy. And my name is fucking Richard. <laughs> and my name is Richard. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope everyone listening out there had a great week. Um, of course, you guys know that I had a pretty eventful weekend. and yeah. But we'll get into that in so a few minutes. Us, how did I, want, you I want you guys to go first. How did you I want celebrate you... the Big Ten? This is our okay. Yeah, that's pretty digit, fair. That's pretty our fair. Our big season finale. What happened, Ray? Well, I started taking steroids, right, and now I'm like 20 pounds heavier and more jacked. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I went on a New Orleans trip from Thursday to Sunday, which is why we're recording a day after that we usually do. But it was great, man. We went to New Orleans for our buddy's uh, bachelor party. It was four days of mayhem, um, but it was it was amazing. It was just a great trip and something that I definitely needed. And I'm pretty sure I got like in some way, shape, or form haunted by a ghost while I was there. So um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting weekend to say you the least. But it, it was a, a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. First time in New Orleans. And we're we're reviewing the terror. Yeah, dude. We went into and you got haunted by a ghost. Oh my god! In the episode that we're doing the terror. I did, bro. And then in the episode that we you did, was crazy, the man. Targets. I almost got killed by fireworks at a drive-in. Oh my god! So, dude, we're cursed. We really are. <laughs> we're cursed. And like half of the Goodfellas have died since we you started guys the are show. Crazy. I know. This is this this podcast is an omen. If you guys are listening to this, you shouldn't save your lives. Get out of here. Run. <laughs> All right, guys. That'll do it for this week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I got haunted. Us, I'm tell pretty us sure. about this fucking ghost. I'm curious. All right. Well, it started off, Elvis, I right? think. No, nah, it was pretty damn close, though. I had the shits that weekend. You were in, like, but, you know, I mean... in the hotel room <laughs> at night, and then just all of a sudden you hear. I could not <laughs> sleep. <laughs> this, this, this happened in my dream, bro. This, this song played in my dream, but. <laughs> Nah, I mean, like, I mean, it started, I think, on Friday because I got in Thursday and, you know, we had a hell of a night that night and it was just really fun. It was a really good time. And then Friday comes around, we do a swamp tour. And that night we go on a horror tour. What's a swamp tour? A swamp tour is just like, you know, the bayous of New Orleans. Like, some guy just like takes us on a boat and, you know, we go see some alligators and kind of like the the bayou. And it was interesting, man. There was like. What did you think it was, Jer? I don't really know. <laughs> was like, what, what do you mean? It's a swamp like, tour. I mean, in New Orleans, bro. Like, like, like a Shrek like, ride, yeah. dude. <laughs> what else? Would, what the hell? I mean, yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's no ogres there, but I mean, there were alligators, which was cool. Um, It was cool, man. It was interesting. And you kind of feel for the people in New Orleans, for sure, because we went into territory that used to be land, and it's all just like swamp now. And it was... Uh, it was pretty eye-opening, and the guy that what are like, you doing did the in tour swamp, for us, man. dude, I couldn't tell you, bro. It was Katrina and that last hurricane. I don't know which one it was. Um, the one that happened like eight and a half months ago. Um, Is there a hurricane that recently? I was going to say Katrina. Apparently, was years yeah, ago. I didn't know that. And Katrina was like decades ago at this point. I yeah, think. yeah, but like it, it's just like it's crazy. And we were talking about it. It's like in a hundred years, New Orleans could be like pretty swallowed up. 
by water. So it, it's it's kind of insane, like how much land has been lost. And but that was interesting. I think the swamp tour was really great, and I learned a little like bit houses of something on the on the water and everything. Yeah, well, that's not on the water, other, but like not like literally on the water, but they're like they're basically that's that's like their front yard is the water. Yeah, basically, you know? yeah. It, it became their front yard, and there's like houses that like shifted into different um, different places. Uh, so it's like it, it's insane how much like the land kind of shifts and like certain houses and certain things are not in the same places as they were. I mean, obviously, a lot of them got swallowed up, too. But yeah, it's it. you feel for the people out there. You really do. But that was a swamp tour. Alligators were pretty cute, too. Um, the big ones were kind of terrifying, but smaller yeah, ones usually were really bachelor cute. parties are like, you know, you get strippers and you gamble, you drink. But you were just oh my like, God. let's go swamp tour and feel yeah man we're, we're all growing up slap dude. A crocodile. <laughs> we're, we're, we're different people man we're, we're not the frat Sounds boys that we depressing. used to be when we were kids um but yeah it, it was cool i mean we spent most of the time in um bourbon street too and the horror tour of course and that was like that was that was pretty sweet um we learned a lot about the 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 city and all the hauntings and stuff like that and that night is there, is there more of it haunted just all of it is haunted pretty much like new orleans is probably the most haunted you know city in america or maybe the world but yeah it's just known for like you know voodoo stuff and also just you know it's an extremely old city so a lot of deaths have happened there obviously a lot of history um slavery um you know it's just uh it, it just goes on and on and it's like you really do feel like almost the weight of that city when you're there that's what i felt i was like damn like you can feel kind of the energy at least for me you could feel the energy of like the culture and and kind of what happened especially as like our tours were telling us like yeah this is like what happened here and it's just insane man there's just so much history embedded in that city good and bad but um it was a beautiful city i really liked it of course you guys know i'm really into jazz but it was uh yeah how was, was the fun. music was there oh like my god mardi dude, it was gras awesome. vibes this sounds like a fucking ken burns documentary experience so far so oh like, i don't know man yeah i mean the, like where were for the, the vibes in bourbon street it's all like everyone's just drinking i mean new orleans is known for just like a drinking ass city but like um on bourbon street like you can literally have it's like vegas you can have like drinks in your hand while you're walking and stuff like that but everyone is just nuts there like they take drinking to like a whole nother level and uh but the music was great i remember the first night we were like drinking at this bar and it was just it was so much fun man uh the performance i think that was like my favorite performance it was just like they were playing bangers after bangers but um it was great like people really do love their music there um we had like you know we saw some jazz performances on the street too just it was it was a grand time obviously but I was gonna say it was it mostly jazz. I know they're uh, no, it wasn't. A, it's it's like it's called bounce music, I think, right? Yeah, That's what yeah. It's called. Um, um, for the most part, it was like it was a mixture, dude. It was a mixture of like pop music, but also just like rap. And it really depended on where you go on Bourbon Street. It's like a party scene. Like that place is like trashed to the bone. Like it's it's everywhere you go, someone has a drink. Like you're sardines, and everyone has a drink on their hands. People are throwing beads, you know, doing the Mardi Gras thing it's it's like it's fucking wild like um to say the least i think that's like the best way wow. i can like describe it yeah 
Yeah, I heard people get pegged. Mostly tourists are like aiming Why? to get pegged with bags of beads. Bro, Nima Nima was throwing pegging people with beads, bro. Shout <laughs> out to gonna, Nima, bro. Just, just oh, yeah, Nima's name the, drop uh, Nima like that. The, bro, uh, that, that it's his bachelor band. party, bro. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that dude though. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're celebrating but, Nima's uh you know, uh, marriage soon to be in November. My fucking hero. Congrats, Nima. I don't know if you're listening to this or if you ever hear it, but congrats, brother. Nima, I hope you nailed somebody with that bag of beads. He did. He did. He hit someone in the eyeball. Like, it was... Uh, Dude, those bags of beads are fucking heavy, man. I like, know, man. That's... But it was a hell of a weekend, man. It was, like, something that I needed and just change of pace, get out of L.A. and, you know, experience other things. But it was it was fun, to say the least, you know. But I'm glad to be back home in my own bed. And just resting up, watching more movies. What'd you get yeah, into, Jer? What about you, man? What about me? You're weak. I haven't done anything. Well, you got something going on. You had a big trip coming up, just like that Ray is true. just had. That's probably what I'm stressing about the most. I fly out in approximately nine hours. So I got to pack right after this. Where are you going? I got to get my bags ready. I'm flying to the Big Apple to uh new york wow. and i'm gonna go visit some friends there uh, i'm traveling with some friends and uh yeah gonna be eight days of fun hopefully uh i haven't bought my ticket yet i think uh, we're just gonna do that last minute but rage against the machine is playing oh, in madison nice. square garden so it would be cool to get a ticket there but i'm not gonna lie i'm pinching my pennies going into this trip so We'll, yeah, uh, man. we'll see if I end up going to that. NYC yeah, drop is that, expensive, Drop a few brother. more of those, man, because I'm, I'm in between my couch cushions right you, now for money trying to make everything work. Uh, but, but yeah, it should, uh, it, should be, it should be a lot of fun, and I'll definitely have some stories to talk about when I get back. But, uh, but yeah, wait. going that'll to Madison's Square Garden. Yeah, man. brother. It's going to be, be uh, hopefully that'll be cool. Season two. That's yeah. you have to wait for season two to find mm-hmm. out how the trip mm-hmm. goes. We're leaving you with a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh man, that's exciting. You're gonna be a good fellow when you come back, Rich. I know you are. You're <laughs> Italian too, brother. I'm flying into LaGuardia. You're Italian too, brother. That's where. Uh, that's where they. Yeah, so I'm fitting. Sure. I'm pretty sure that there, there was a scene there. What about you, Jer? You're the last one here. What have you been doing in preparation for the tenth episode, man? Well, what you yeah, doing? man. Tell me. In preparation for the Big Ten, I've been pulling some strings. I've been uh, I've been trying to do something pretty pretty special for the show, and I don't want to tell you guys because I want. And you to haven't be a even surprise. told your co-hosts. No, this is this oh is my this God. is huge. All right, but um, I basically scared. got I got a pretty big important person to come on and you mm. know honor our show, throw us some uh, some appreciation. Uh, I don't think you guys have any idea just how big this person is. I mean, I when mean, you talk about movies, you're probably thinking actor, director, producer. But how about how about the president of the United States? <laughs> this is President Joe Biden. How you doing, kiddos? Hey, Joe. We're doing hey. great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Ah, believe me, the pleasure's all mine, but <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. Oh, thanks. I love your show. Thank you. My favorite radio <laughs> station. 
Oh, we're not a radio station, Joe. We're actually a podcast. We're the uh, Real Deep Cuts podcast. The Real Deep what? What? Real Deep <laughs> Cuts. The Real Deep Cuts. Yeah, Real Deep Cuts. Uh, I don't get it. It's a stupid name. <laughs> oh. Oh. It, it's like, you know, like a reel, like with two E's, like a film reel. And... Like deep cuts, like lesser known. You know, that reminds me back in my day, we used to go to the drive in and, uh, you know, at the snack bar, they had these things, they called them corn pops. And, uh, you know, you just, you just pop the corn in your mouth and it, it was delicious. Corn pops? Do you, do you mean popcorn? Popcorn. Now, what the hell's that? It's called corn pops. Everybody knows what corn pops are. You, you know what? You guys are too young. It must be way before your time. That oh, must be damn, this, disrespecting us. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, we just wanted to have you on specifically to help us celebrate our Big Ten. You know, this is this is huge for us. Our first season is done, ten episodes, and uh, yeah, we're we're really excited. We're honored that you're here to celebrate that with us. Yeah, yeah, ten episodes is a big deal. Hell, there are some days that I don't even fucking remember how to count to ten. So, uh, be proud of yourselves, boys. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank, thanks, Joe. We oh, appreciate man. it. And, uh, you know, since this is a movie podcast, <laughs> we we want to know, what is the president's favorite movie of all time? Oh, we got to hear this shit. My favorite movie of all time. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. Fucking Coneheads, man. It's a fucking classic. Who doesn't fucking love Coneheads? Well, I can't disagree with you there, Joe. And, uh, well, we appreciate you sharing that, that very important groundbreaking information. But, uh, you know, really quick, could you just give the people of America a message to, you know, subscribe to the Real Deep Cuts podcast? And, uh, you know, we're, we're weekly film podcast new episodes every week the real deep yeah the real deep cuts the real deep show the real deep cuts the real deep podcast <laughs> the real the real big piece of shit <laughs> no, no i just fucking with you kids oh, uh, yes yeah no it's it's real it's real deep cuts joe it's all right my fellow americans listen up the nation is in great peril these are unprecedented times. Oh, man. And we all need to look out for one another. And I can tell you right now, you folks listening, that there is nothing more important right now than for you to set aside a couple hours every week and listen to these three bright young men talk about, what do you guys talk about on the show? Film. Oh, we talk about. Right, right. <laughs> we talk about uh, cinema. Exactly. We talk about. We talk about movies. So. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do people still go to the movies? Yeah. And watch movies. Uh. Well. Uh, you know what, Joe? Just thank you for your time. We really appreciate having you. Seriously, we know you're a busy man. Thanks again, everybody. Thank Joe. Give him a round of applause. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, President Joe Biden. Thanks again. Thanks again. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Avoid stairs and bicycles. Right now. <laughs>
All right. Oh, yeah. man. Damn, what a cool guy. Man, yeah, I didn't know that motherfucker was down to earth like that, dude. Yeah. I'm just glad he took some time out of his day to even reach out to us. and To know. us, man? Just how'd a couple you, of how'd you swing boys? that, chair? I just, I worked my magic, man. It was not easy. Hell yeah, dude. But, uh, hey, man. I appreciate that. That's that, like that the highest honor we us. could receive. We could wrap Honestly. this podcast up. We yeah. really can, man. This might be our last episode. But we gotta we gotta go out with a bang, and that was a motherfucking bang. I know oh, Joe man. would want us to keep going, and this is we, only we gotta we gotta have him back on again for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe someday, man. Maybe someday. He's a busy yeah. man. He's a busy man. He is. He is. But All right. Well, I don't know. He was so colorful. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, I guess that's the end of that. Yeah. Let's man. get into Thank this you, thing. Joe, again. Oh, we're getting into the terror right now? Let's get into the fucking terror. Let's baby. get into it. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into the finale of season 10, the one we've been waiting for, The Terror. Debuted in 1963, directed by five directors. <laughs> <laughs> I think seven, actually, if I'm not I, mistaken. I think I read a little bit more, yeah. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, Jack Nicholson, Roger Corman, Monte Hellman, Jack Hill, Dennis Jacob, and Jack Hale. Starring Boris Karloff, Jack Nicholson, Sandra Knight, Dick Miller, Dorothy Newman, and Jonathan Hayes. With only 6.3k views on Letterboxd. Quick synopsis. A young officer in Napoleon's army pursues a mysterious woman to the castle of an elderly baron. Initial thoughts, fellas. Who wants to go first? Well, hold on. I want to talk about these directors really quick. Okay. That's the initial thought right there. Well, I I thought somebody, because I saw that there is a, is it John? It's Jack Kale. That's one of the directors. But then Jack Nicholson. I mean, the guy's really young here. And the fact that he has a directing credit I couldn't really find anything, but for why he, you know, had some, you know, say in the matter, I just think it's weird that, you know, even he was, you know, asked to direct some parts. Did did he even really expect to? Like, what do you guys think of this? At this part, like, I'm thinking, like, they just said, hey, kid, like, you want to, like, try to direct really quick? Like, it's pretty fun. All you do is just, you know, fucking point. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting to see that he did it. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah, no, I think uh, basically it was Jack Hill and and Nicholson were working together on this like last wrap up of shooting because this movie was a horrible mess from beginning to end. And like that's when Jack Nicholson sort of came in on the last day of shooting to finish up for that one day. And I think. Honestly, a lot of people, or I guess mainly Jack Hill, contests the idea that that Nicholson was really directing. He's like he didn't do shit, but like it is, he is technically he did do work on, as a director on the final day. So I mean, technically, it's his directorial debut for this film. He didn't direct at all before that. He had been in plenty of films though before as an actor, but this was his first directing job. That was kind of like you said, like it was really just like, hey, can you finish this up real quick? Because everything was just fucked from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was I thought it was completely strange. And uh, I was just I was genuinely surprised. Uh, and that's why I was getting asked. How much how much did this guy actually take part in 
you know, finishing up this film. But I do understand that there was a ton of reshoots. Maybe not a ton, but there just were reshoots that they had to do for this. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But honestly, I was a little underwhelmed with this uh, initially. You know, with the name like The Terror, I was expecting something a bit more upfront and conventionally scary. Hmm. To be honest, I'm not sure what The Terror really was. (laughs) I kind (laughs) of... I, I think I know what I, you mean, I guess. I, I guess there was the production some, of the film. Maybe. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very meta in that sense, if you know what's going on behind the scenes. But um, um, but I just wasn't I wasn't too impacted by this. I guess I was just more intrigued by the actual story that went on behind, you know, uh, behind the film and behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you guys particularly like this. I don't think I like this too much. It was okay, but mm. um, I'm still kind of figuring out what rating I would give it. And I have my range, but um, I do want to discuss further with you guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think this film is very good and it just, you know, I don't think it had any chance to be good from the day it was conceived because it's like, it started off as, you know, uh, Roger Corman, who is notorious for just making a shit ton of movies. He's a very like business minded director and he's all about uh, quantity over quality. So he's like, if you can make a hundred movies, that's better than making like one great film. And that's why he's known as like the drive in B movie King. And so, you know, he was used to just churning shit out all the time and, and pumping out movies quick. And he did a lot of Edgar Allan Poe stuff. And then this, literally was just like his half-assed last minute idea because uh he had a, an extra weekend that was left over from uh you know funds and time that was allotted f- to finish the raven and so this whole set that you see in this film was for the film the raven mm-hmm. and the haunted palace and you know but they were wrapping up the raven and since they were done with that film they were technically scheduled to start tearing it down but he still had an extra weekend to shoot. So he just thought last minute, he's like, I'm going to make a movie with just the last bit of time that I have with this castle set still here. And he didn't have an idea of the movie, just like a vibe. He just was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of want it to be like spooky in a castle. Edgar Allan Poe, like, fuck it. Let's get Boris Karloff back. Cause he did the Raven. Let's get Jack Nicholson back. Fuck it. Um, and you know, he's not a writer, so he had to hire a writer and he literally just gave, you know, the, the order to just, I don't know, just make it Edgar Allan Poe or something, you know, and just, we're going to reuse the, the remnants of the set. And even while they were filming, the set was being taken apart and, you know, in the background, like the set was being deconstructed as they were filming. That's how like last minute and shitty. So like, and it's ironic because this is a guy who, you know, is really good about making a lot of movies in a short amount of time. But this last minute idea that he thought was just going to be, you know, just a quickie ended up taking the longest amount of time and five different directors by the end of it. So it was just like such a pain in the ass. And when you have five different directors who are not all on the same page, who are all interpreting the story differently, it's just a fucking mess. Like the story in this movie is a mess. (laughs) You can you can feel that it's made by five different directors. There are scenes in this movie that just feel like it's like no one got the memo of like what this movie is about. Like somebody felt like throwing this in and somebody felt like throwing this in and just the tone is off. It's just so no, I don't think this movie is very good. 
I think it's enjoyable at certain parts. I don't think it's like a total piece of shit, but it is, you know, overall not. Uh, it was doomed from the start because of that. What I, I did like the plot a little bit, but um, I mean, but I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't it, wrap my. It wasn't the, the most airtight, but yeah, Ray, what did you think? Um, honestly, I didn't think it was going to be as bad. As I, it, it's not as bad as I thought it, it, it was going to be because I saw like it was like 2.6 on Letterboxd. I was like, damn, this this shit probably sucks. And like, but there are moments where you can feel that there is a little bit there that you can kind of grasp onto. But there is, um, I thought it was fair up until a certain point to the movie where it kind of brought it down for me. I was like, all right. I see why. I mean, like, it's kind of charming in some ways because it's Boris Karloff. And obviously, I think that, like, the story is very generic, but it's not necessarily, like, you know, just, it got to a point where I was just like, hmm, um, it's going down more and more. Mm-hmm. But uh, it definitely started off a little bit slow for me. Um, Jack Nicholson's character, I don't even remember his name, to be honest, which is probably not a good sign there. Um, I was like playing really... a French dude, a Napoleon, yeah, like a French dude, in like somebody in Napoleon's army. army, and then he yeah. he speaks completely Jack. Yeah, Nicholson. just like yeah. It's so, so it's stupid. like, what the heck is going on? Obviously, it's, it's like not. It's a mostly great shot film. in Southern California too. I you could recognize that it's Big Sur. Yeah, it's Big Sur. It's the uh, it's Arch. It's all right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was okay, and like, I don't have much to say about it, but like. I don't think like I hated it as much as I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to like actually like say like this offended me, but the horror aspect of it kind of, I kind of like it in some way, shape or form. And you know, it's, it's intriguing it's and atmospheric kind of his, uh, yeah. And also his kind of like what he's trying to discover. Cause it, that kind of is what is the driving force for me to continue to watch this film was just like, Oh, I'm kind of curious of what, like what this mystery is all about. Like what the hell is even going on in this film? Mm-hmm. And I think like it got to a point where I was just like, Oh, so that's that. <laughs> that's kind of like, that's kind of like where it lost interest for me. Um, uh-huh. <clears throat> but uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's like a terrible story. I don't think everything was absolutely terrible, but I, you know, considering everything that happened behind the scenes and the different directors and the amount of stress, I'm sure, and frustration that this production had, um, I could see why it is a 2.6 on Letterboxd, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not really surprised by this film, but um, I'm also not necessarily, you know, upset that I watched it either. So I guess, like, it's, like, in between right now for my initial thoughts. I'm not upset either. It's it's not like a long watch, and it's it's not it's not boring. At least it wasn't yeah. for me. I didn't think it was you know slowly lulling me to sleep or anything. I didn't think it just moved at a an unbearable pace. Right. Uh, yeah. I did kind of like you know seeing a young Jack Nicholson. I don't know how many how much work he had before this, but this is probably the earliest work of his I've seen. Um, but yeah, it was a little strange that it was supposed to be. You know, we're led to believe that this is like a French, you know, military officer of some sort. And, you know, he we're supposed to be like in Europe or somewhere on the beach. It was it was a little strange there. It was not believable. Everything about this felt so cheap. It's like laughably bad. I don't think it goes beyond like it elevates beyond 
enjoyment of like genuine like this is good other than like maybe the atmosphere and maybe some of the like you know sets and all that but he's not great in this movie he's bad he is really bad in my opinion like jack nicholson yeah oh yeah yeah it was just it was just really weird to see if anything the novelty was just like whoa jack nicholson is really young and he doesn't even really sound bad he's like they spilled his head in a basket and placed a cord or something he's like trying to speak french and he and he's oh i died when he like comes down the stairs in the crypt toward the end and he's like let me see who you really are he says it just like that. What kind of woman are you? It's just like, oh boy. You know, it's inspiring because it's like, he's a great powerhouse actor now. But looking at this, it's like, holy shit. Guess came a long, long way. way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, totally. What totally. did you guys watch this, by the way? How did you guys watch this? I watched this on Prime. Did you? Okay. So did I. Ray, did you watch it on Prime? Did you find it there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was honestly having a really hard time making out a lot of this film because it looks so. It looked old. like shit. It looked like the worst, you know, yeah. VHS tape that had ever it been looked, rewound. Dude, it was times. like it was like a, they found this VHS tape in a flooded basement or yes. something. It was like water <laughs> damage. The worst, condition. and then they dried it by microwaving it. <laughs> like it was just. Like, <laughs> then they had Arnold Schwarzenegger fart on it. <laughs> just one but, last. But measure. I did find out that they they remastered this in 4K, and I wish I had what? looked that up before. Yes, it looks immaculate. It looks completely opposite to what we just watched wow it looks it looks perfect somebody uploaded it it's it's fully in german on youtube but you could just see the comparison of how well it looks wow whoever remastered that shit deserves every fucking raise out you know above them that they could possibly earn because they they definitely earned it um i'd wish i saw it like that i would have probably bumped it up uh fucking a quarter star or something. I don't know. No, this but. shit was straight up ripped from a VHS because after the credits rolled, it yeah, did you that like see, you the sparkly the like black yeah. screen with the white like yeah the, the white streaks yeah yeah. So, I was like, uh, whoa, that's yep. Amazon's been doing some shit like that. They did that shit with. I remember one time I tried to watch Death Rides a Horse on Amazon Prime, and it was mm-hmm. worse than that if you can imagine. And not only that, wow. <laughs> it started it started like a minute or two into the film. There was no like production logo, you know, any of that. There was no title screen. Did it you pay it for just that or literally was that on? No, it was just free, free on Amazon. Okay. But like I mean, technically you're paying for it. So I was yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, how are they getting away with this? <laughs> it's one thing to just like find like, yeah, some war torn VHS tape, but like to not even have it start like when the movie starts, it's just terrible. They also so have some I edits. I, I know they've edited a couple films before, specifically mm-hmm. the one I remember most recently is Dumb and Dumber, where they just uploaded this, you know, it wasn't the unrated version. And that movie's not even that bad. Like, it's not even that, you know, gnarly to, to edit out certain scenes or certain, you know, pieces of dialogue. I thought it, I I know that movie really well. And I noticed it instantly. I was like, yep, they're cutting this movie up. Like, <laughs> So, um, I don't know. I guess Amazon has has their own agenda, clearly. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you are going to watch The Terror, just find it in any version other than the Amazon. The 4K is out it's there. on YouTube. You could probably yeah. find it. The German, you know, dub. For some reason, there's there's a dub of, you know, there's a German dub of it on YouTube. But um, I'm sure you could find the much clearer, you know, remastered version somewhere else. But yeah, I did like the castle, you know, set. I thought that was, it nice. was nice. Again. For not for not being again, I 
I realized quickly this isn't going to be an in-your-face horror film. I think there was there was like some shocking uh, scenes that they went for pretty softly, I guess. But other than that, you know, I thought the castle did capture. You know, it's empty, it's gloomy, it's very depressing. Yeah, I thought that was you know it's just nice people walking tone. around the corridors, like yeah. not doing shit really. Like it, you can tell that he didn't have an idea of what the story was or what the characters' motivations were. He was just shooting almost like stock footage of the castle to use when they finally did find out what the story was going to be about. So it's just, I don't know. It is, it is weird. The whole production. And this is the one that you said that they'd pay. Uh, what is it? Roger Corman. Roger Corman pay, was going to pay. Yeah. Boris, Boris Karloff. Karloff 15,000. Like that's what he was promised. If it succeeded. Yeah. Because Boris succeeded, Karloff yeah. just did finish the Raven. And so he was like, Hey, like I have an extra weekend. If you could just, you know, two days to shoot in this castle, just, I don't know, some generic shit, you know, we'll have Jack Miller as your butler or something. And Jack Miller really didn't know what the fuck he was doing either. He's like, I guess I'm the butler. I don't know. Like he just yeah. says shit, butler shit. Servant, yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, he's just, and Boris Karloff agreed, but it was only those two days. So all the, everything with Boris Karloff is only within the two day shooting time frame, because then uh, that's when he ran out of money for that, the money that was tied to the union. Okay. Well, it turned out to be a whole year long project. Those two days were just the beginning. And then he ran out of money and he is like the only other person that I know that can finish this or help me finish this film. Um, Cause I can't direct it technically is uh, this young and up and coming director, Francis Ford Coppola, who then took the reins and um, brought Jack Nicholson on because he had done some work with Jack Nicholson. And so, uh, that was a whole like you know that scene when Jack Nicholson's like getting absolutely tossed by the waves like looks like he's getting the shit kicked out of him by the waves in the beginning when he's like trying to punch the raven fight the bird yeah. <laughs> yeah dude that he almost died from that and I believe it that shit looks like intense I was like holy shit he's getting the shit kicked out of him by those waves and like sure enough like it, it was documented that he was like seriously in danger um, and almost died. So, uh, yeah, just a kind of a cursed thing. And speaking of like stunts too, like that, there's that stunt where the guy falls off the cliff. That was pretty impressive. Like I thought that at least like I couldn't tell right. What do you mean? When the guy gets his eyes poked out by the bird and then he falls (laughs) off. I'm just saying like, it didn't look like a dummy. It looked, it looked like a stunt man that landed on like a safety pad. So I was like, that wasn't a bad stunt. I'll give the movie credit for that. It looked pretty. I, like, I thought it was a dummy, um, I but I, I get what you're saying. It didn't. I can't look, even tell really. But it, it it was very believable for a dummy. Yeah, but, it was a very weighted dummy. If it was yeah. one, so like you know, usually they you see those they start like, to cotton, flail really quick. Cotton stuffed dummies that just like basically float as they're in the air. <laughs> but this one was like, oh yeah, I don't know. Just it was it was a convincing stunt. I it thought. was a good impact <laughs> for sure. But I love that it's like the gnarliest fucking fall from like 50 feet. And then like Jack Nicholson just walks up and he's like, Gustav, <laughs> he's just so like, <laughs> he's like, you good, man. <laughs> like, and the guy's still alive. Dude. Oh my God. Sense. He's just like literally eyeballless and just fell like <laughs> smacked his whole body onto the hard rocks. And it's just like, still able to have a conversation <laughs> um but yeah the whole movie is like a weird weird story it's like 
Jack Nicholson arrives on the beach. Like it's the beginning. Or like just wanders on the beach. That guy just came from God knows where. Yeah. And then like, (laughs) and then he's just all, I don't know. He's just so horny. He's like seeing this bird. That's a beautiful woman. He's so horny. He's hallucinating this, but then it's actually a ghost. But then he finds out it's Boris Karloff's wife, dead wife who died 20 years ago. And he still doesn't have any respect. He's so horny. He's just like, yeah, that's great. I know that's your dead wife, but like, where is she? I need to fuck her ghost. <laughs> like, I need her. And Karlov is like, I understand you're horny, but like, can you just not have sex with my my <laughs> dead wife's ghost? That I'm still clearly grieving about. Oh my god! <laughs> like twenty years. Jack later. Nicholson is in this man's castle, just like I'm gonna flip this place inside out if you don't <laughs> tell me where you're hiding your dead wife. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, this guy is a dick. Like so presumptuous um so yeah you're right yeah he's just unapologetically horny and he's just like you know uh, not a lot of women have tried to kill me before i guess and still goes for it but there's no real motive when you find out you know what's actually going on with the ghost and who's controlling her uh the story is all over the place. Yeah, it's like it's, you have it's this witch. Pretty messy. She's trying to get revenge on the Baron who killed her son, but then she finds out it was her son who killed the Baron. But then her son thinks he's the Baron, and then says the servant kills the son. But since the Baron is the son, <laughs> that means the servant <laughs> killed the Baron. It's so stupid. It's so <laughs> overwritten. It's garbage. I think like the writing is like so contrived. It, it's. I, I at a certain point I was like I don't care I really I I'm just, just here I for did the vibes. like I just like that single twist where it was you know uh, I think that kind of that was a cool idea I think just to make you know the Baron the one the original Baron the actual one who was murdered um, but yeah it is just so contradicting that's what pissed me just, off there's I a think. million holes I don't <laughs> know I thought like, I thought it was, I was like the most like, I was oh my god I checked I was out like okay that. like they they tried a twist and I thought it was you know a worthy effort for a story that was just kind of moving <laughs> for what along it was, yeah. yeah I don't know I, I gave it some props like oh they, they they gave it they gave it a shot so um didn't yeah. really help the film in the end either way uh yeah yeah. You know, Targets actually spoils the end of this film, the final frame. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. that. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. So really the last shot is just that skeleton covered in chocolate pudding. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that, the that, end. That like melting potato squash. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. With the wig on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I thought the movie was not that great. Um just all over the place. I really did like the, you know, the atmosphere, the colors was, were cool. The set mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, Boris Karloff was fine. Like he did a good job. Jack was Nicholson good, yeah. wasn't bad. Wasn't great. He was bad. Um, but it's his earlier stuff. So he was learning, I guess, or he just, the material was terrible. I, more I was going to say, I don't know. That. I don't know exactly what he was working with. I don't know if he only had that long to shoot. How many times there were reshoots, but I guess that couldn't have been for too much. There was a lot of like reshooting and even when it was That's done filming, when uh, years later, after Boris Karloff had already died, di- he died a year after Targets. And then uh, this movie in the 90s, they did uh, additional scenes. So there's a 90s version of this. And oh, okay. they had um, Jack Hill, the butler, come back to shoot a couple more scenes that like added him in a flashback or something. It was total bullshit. There was no reason to save this story because the story is garbage. 
Um, but it was because Corman wanted to like, you know, have, he needed to do that in order to secure copyright, I guess. So he just, he ended up paying Jack Hill to come back and do these reshoots and he looks way older, obviously. Um, but he said, Jack Hill said he got paid more for those reshoots than he did the whole film when he shot it originally. I know Corman was very much like the business, you know, aspect of things. He didn't really see these movies as like he was trying to make art. He was making entertainment and he was trying to make a lot of entertainment as fast as possible, as much as possible. Um, but, you know, I think some of his stuff could be fun for sure. Just this one was just not a very well thought out idea from the beginning. But yeah, I mean, I guess Coppola came and did some rewrites on the script as well. He was trying to salvage it, but like it was clear when they looked back at all the footage, that's like, Oh yeah. Between these five directors, it's very clear that everybody had a different idea of what the story was about. (laughs) And you could totally sense that. Yeah. You know, I guess after Coppola, you know, he did his segment, um, which he did a good chunk of it. Um, Corman still decided it wasn't enough. There was a lot of flat lighting. Also, Coppola made a mistake by in the script. He did a lot of day for night um, in the script. It was written day for night, which is basically when when a DP shoots during the day, but adjust the lighting, adjust the set just right so that it can be turned into nighttime mm-hmm. uh, in post. So but he didn't let the cinematographer know that he didn't let him know specifically like this is day for night this is day for night so they shot a lot of shit during the day that they couldn't use because he's like this is broad daylight and doesn't make sense with this (laughs) film so they had to reshoot a bunch of shit and that was you know wasting a lot of money and time of course uh so it was just you know coppola had some things to learn at this point as well and corman was losing his mind because he could see the money being burned and he was also like felt like coppola was taking a little bit too much control over this um, but he did hand off the reins to Coppola. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it is what it is. He tried his best, maybe it's arguable, <laughs> but yeah, I guess Nicholson, Jack Nicholson said Coppola went over schedule and budget a lot and just did whatever he wanted. <laughs> that really pissed off Gorman. <laughs> and, uh, if I think I don't blame that guy. That guy probably just saw an enormous pile of shit and was just trying to turn in something good mm-hmm. uh, at any expense. I don't know. I could, I could see him not, I don't know. I, this was Coppola's what, like close to his debut mm-hmm. uh, film directing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This was, like, I'd, I think I'd be third. very self-conscious about what he I'm about to turn in on this yeah. as my first, you know, or at least my first few. Um, Cause like, yeah, at the end of the day, your name's going on it. And maybe he didn't expect there to be so many other directors afterwards, but still I would be very, very self-conscious about the work that I turn in with my name on it. Yeah. And just trying to make, make the best out of something that's truly disastrous and just probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have been made to begin with. He, uh, Jack Nicholson specifically almost drowned during that scene because uh, a, a wave knocked him over and the, and the water started pulling on and dragging mm-hmm. on his uniform. And he has a lot of clothes on right there, uh-huh. too. So, And then also, during the shoot, Sandra became pregnant with Jennifer, which is her daughter with Jack Nicholson. So Jack Nicholson had sex with Sandra Knight, in this, the actress in this film, and got her pregnant. So 
that is also something Fun crazy. Fact right there, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there was a big disagreement between Corman and Coppola when Coppola made the changes, and it just didn't really mesh with what Corman was going for, but it was like fine. Then Corman was like, well, we still need more footage for the flooding sequence, so he got Dennis Jacob, and they did some shoots at the Hoover Dam, and then, um, you know, after that, I think it was, Corman was pissed off because he used <laughs> Corman's camera equipment and uh, to shoot his own thesis on the side. Uh, J- Dennis Jacob did this. So it's funny that that's like Corman feels so like, how could you, how dare you use my shit to shoot some other project when Corman actually went behind the studios back to shoot this movie. Like he wasn't technically supposed to make a movie with the leftover set of, mm-hmm. you know, this, uh, the studio, I think it was American international. So Corman was, you know, being a little, being a little schemey on his, on his, own. On his own. Yeah. End, yeah. Yeah. And then he got Monty Hellman, they so they shot some more shit with Jack Nicholson and Santa Barbara, and then he Jack Hill came on and did some script rewrites and salvaged fucking whatever footage they had. And I mean, you could just get the sense that this movie is just like they strung a bunch of shit together to try to make a coherent film. Like, apparently, Jack Hill was like, you can tell when Sandra Knight gets pregnant because they only shoot her from above the waist and her breasts are four times the size that they are in the earlier scenes. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but you know, I didn't really notice that either, but um, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. If, mm-hmm. uh, if you rewatch it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. The whole thing is fucked. It's fucked up, dude. And Corman's just crazy. Cause he's like dodging unions, pulling fast ones on his producers to make this movie and it was just like was it even worth it like was this film worth all the fucking trouble to make this fucking movie clearly not if anything he probably learned a lesson to never try to squeeze shit in because lo- but he there's didn't a lot give up that goes into it like that you know you can't just knock out so quick but even in 1990 in the 90s he came back and he was like now we got to work on this a little bit more <laughs> like, absolutely insane so uh, I don't that's know. Funny. That's funny, man. Yeah. Uh, really good, uh, you know, finale for our little three-part Corman series. Yeah. That we didn't even anticipate we'd be doing. Yeah. Uh, no, it's totally a weird ass little story, a little rabbit hole that led us to this kind of a bad film, but a very interesting story behind it. Five directors it took to make this big pile of shit. And one of them, was Francis Ford Coppola, the director of Raymond's like favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And he, Ray even thought it was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just got worse and worse, but I was giving it a fair shot as much as I can. I really don't have much to say about this film, but it's just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's how I feel right now. I'm just the sound kind of, of like, a man defeated. <laughs> low key. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I feel a little bit defeated. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. I mean, this like, movie wasn't that taxing in my opinion. I thought nah, it was, I, it wasn't would... like exhausting. It was yeah. just like, you know, I, I think that, yeah, I was just, I kind of almost like I gave up towards the end of the film, which I guess is like fair for what it is. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. at least it got me somewhat interested up until the very last like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, I guess that, 
that's the reason why this movie is literally called the terror and then i was just not having it after that yeah yeah it is uh i'll say that yeah that this movie kept me at least interested as it went on it wasn't yeah it wasn't wasn't total bore it was always totally you noticed you know it was messy and you know just poorly made but uh it did still keep me on the verge of being a little too dull but there was always some new plot element introducing itself but it it just i realized it was like okay this plot is so contrived and so complicated to the point where there is no plot and that's even what like jack hill said he's like there's really not a story it's just a lot of castle (laughs) like just a lot of vibes (laughs) people walking in and out of rooms and shit there's like a funny ass like there's a line that made me laugh where Helena or whatever she's like I am possessed of the dead and he's like no you're a warm living woman who's told you these things she's like the dead <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good oh my uh, god was, there's some camp in here too I mean there's some funny there's some slight funny moments I think is self-aware which is expected for corner I think uh the, the part that I laughed at probably the most was uh uh jack nicholson is trying to drag the witch into the chapel she's like i can't go in there and he's just like i don't give a fuck and he's trying to like yank her in there and she yanks away finally and like before she can even make it past like whatever the perimeter she just gets struck by lightning and catches fire and i'm <laughs> yeah. just like cracking up <laughs> i thought that was probably one of the highlights of the, of his the movie, face after sure. that shot he literally I mean, just looked at her and just like oh, she wasn't kidding <laughs> yeah. yeah she didn't <laughs> even say anything you're like oh she's dead i'm out of yeah. here fuck it, it. just like fuck it exactly <laughs> just has that like you know kind of like blockhead jack nicholson yeah lifeless stares i was like all right whatever just like well (laughs) i think i'm gonna give it the same rating that i gave francis ford coppola's other worst film jack from 1996 Mm -hmm. (laughs) starring robin williams you can't Mm -hmm. give it the same rating as that movie's a gem (laughs) what is your rating for that (laughs) It's uh, it's a two stars. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah movies too. <laughs> um, movies not that. It's bad. only it's entertaining to say the least. Of, it's only two stars because of the line where they ask Jack Robin Williams, who's a grown man in a ten-year-old's body. <laughs> they ask him, "Hey, Jack, have you ever gotten a boner?" And he's like, "No, but I hope to get one for Christmas." <laughs> that's uh that's why it's two stars god that's uh coppola coppola wrote that line (laughs) (sighs) never asked your friends that looked like they were 40 years old in third grade if they ever got a boner come on guys (laughs) (laughs) um upbringing did you guys have all right i'm gonna give this a yeah two stars um what about you rich I don't, I'm gonna just go two and a half. That's where I was. I felt this wow. movie didn't Same kill me. This movie didn't kill me, but you know, I was still, you know, slightly entertained. And I wouldn't say I just consider this movie right in the middle between, you know, a zero and a five. This movie is. Just I honestly so, was feeling two and a half, but this like, movie's so poorly average and <sighs> just a lot of aspects. And to just know everything that goes on, I think it's still fair to just give it the old two and a half. It's I think right it's mainly enjoyable if you know the story of how it was made, you know, how bad Jack Nicholson's acting is, just yeah. how bad the script is, how it's not scary at all, but it's called the terror. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, it's just all over the place. Like It's a I proper think. failure. But uh, at the same time, there is a like, you know, a nice mood going through it. There's really cool sets. I'm like, fuck, do I want to give... 
well, kind of pushing me on the 2.5 here, honestly, but I'm oh. like, I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I don't mm. know. But yeah, what about you, Ray? Yeah, it's a solid two. I, oh. I was going to give it a two and a half, but then I was like, well, if you're a two and you hated this, I have to give it a two point five. I'm bumping up. I don't think I hate it. <laughs> I, I, going off crazy. Not I didn't even. Trick. I didn't even say I hate it. I literally just. Well, said, you, like, you sound know. like miserable. You were. You sounded like you sound like you have PTSD from this one, right? Like, Bro, yeah. a two star. That's literally a four. That's like, of course, I'm gonna feel like a certain way about this thing. All right, I'm give. I'm. I'm gonna give it a. But then it's like, is it better than Jack? <laughs> Dude, I don't it's know. I've never seen Jack. Jack, so it's like. <laughs> Jack's a classic. Oh, fuck. If anything, Jerry needs to bump that rating up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe that movie Jack is a real fucking Francis Ford Coppola. I was going to say, it's only because his name is attached to it. That's the only fucking reason. <laughs> I remember I made my list of Francis Ford Coppola ranked in Jack is a bottom it's just a picture of fucking robin williams in like a 10 year old's clothes and half turned around like (laughs) it's like next to like the godfather and apocalypse now and all these (laughs) just jack oh my god yeah but oh yeah doesn't he fall in love with his fifth grade teacher that's so weird because he's like He's 10 years old, but he's ages four times faster. So he's really 40. But then, like, he has a weirdly romantic relationship with his teacher. Mm. Is that not, like, kind of wrong? Uh, I can't remember that movie that well. I don't think I've seen that movie since I've watched it with you, you know. <laughs> ten, I don't even remember. 10 years ago. You don't remember watching this film? Oh, I do. I watched I'm, this. Uh, I do, yeah. but I, I do remember, f- f- like, Fran. Um, uh, Fran Drescher is the teacher that he yeah. kind of has a thing with. Jennifer Lopez is in this. Bill Cosby, man, we got to revisit Jack. We might have to, yeah. It's just now, now just, this makes it's not even really a deep cut. We it. just have to watch this film, especially because I don't remember this movie being like that bad. I mean, I, I guess it's just bizarre that Coppola had anything to do with this film, let alone fucking write it. Um. God, I mean, I the '90s like... were not a good time for Coppola because then he started it off strong with The Godfather Part Three. I say strong, I don't mean strong. I mean, what a what a horrible way to start that decade. <laughs> <laughs> and then he continued with Jack in 1996. I don't know what he did between then, but I just know those two '90s films by him. He peaked in the '70s, no doubt, no doubt. But uh, I think all our ratings are really fair for our final deep cut of the season. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Go see this fantastic film. Two stars. Don't watch it on Amazon. Watch it anywhere else. Just Amazon has the potato footage. All right. Well, that wraps up our final deep cut of the season. Now we're moving into the final round of green light, baby, where we will be determining who's movie gets made this time i am in the producer's chair and rich and ray are gonna try to win my bag so are you guys ready (laughs) oof uh man who wants to go first i'll go first let me Uh, my name is richard just please let richard go first (laughs) go first rich all right all right so this this one had me really stressed. I don't know why. I guess I just didn't take the proper amount of time to work on this. But but man, 
I don't Starting know. your pitch uh, off great. <laughs> this one stressed me out a lot. And uh, at a certain point, I was just thinking, you know, I don't even know if this is even for Jerry. That's anymore. what every <laughs> producer wants to hear when they're getting pushed in the movie. I don't even know if this is a good idea. I kind of didn't really think about it. I just I don't know, fucking. <laughs> All right, all right. So, okay, Jer, are you ready? Uh, so, yeah. This is it. All right. So we have our studio neon, just backing this film up with oh, our with our co-producer, neon. yeah, with our co-producer Jackie Chan. All right, and you're gonna see where this is going. We got an this action is for com- me, not Ray. This yeah, is you for already you. Took an L. Right now, just <laughs> just give me some time. I know this isn't this isn't something you're not entirely uninterested in. So. This is an action comedy because, you know, we need some more comedies. You know, people want to laugh and we're going to bring comedy back, bro. All right. So our director. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Don't shoot me down yet. Our our writer is Bong Joon-ho and our director is Stephen Chow, man. This okay, guy this is, is back fucking, at the comedy. This is a movie for me. At this <laughs> yes, point. This is, what do you mean? You love me. Stephen Chow. Are you kidding me? Come on. All right, all right, all right. I mean, all right. Yeah, I like, all right, I, come I, on. I like this guy is the yeah. king of comedy over here. I know this isn't entirely. You can't just think <laughs> Asian and just, you know, say, oh, Ray. Like, come on. So, all right, all right. All right. I'll get you all right. So, so, so. It's an action comedy, and there's a little bit of romance in there because you know Stephen Chow he likes his romance too. So, it's the year 2249, the future. Our military lead, uh, Stephen Chow, is our lead, by the way. Lee Jacobs, after accidentally knocking loose a frag grenade pen while exiting a military aircraft, Sergeant Lee Jacobs is dishonorably discharged from the United Nations Space Force. Wait, so he killed his, his killed his team. teammates. <laughs> And he's responsible for the death, you know, and, you know, lives of his numerous allies on board. Eight to be specific. Steve must. Yeah. Steve must return home to new New Mexico in search of a new line of work. (laughs) Months of depression and shame pass with no opportunities coming up for Lee Jacobs. His reputation is tarnished. He soon begins to feel hopeless. He's known as a team killer among his people. (laughs) But... (laughs) Lee reunites with an old American friend, Henry Russell, played by Walton Goggins, another firecracker of an actor, and is introduced to the futuristic business of bounty hunting. Time goes by and the pair make an excellent team, and Lee Jacobs is in full swing of his new career. As they begin to turn and burn multiple bounties all across our solar system in no time. So Lee is finally happy to be working again, But things take a sudden turn when Lee falls in love at first sight with the beautiful bounty. Rika Kirishima, who's the uh, one of the leads in Drive My Car. You know, I know you like this movie, so she's our love interest. There might be a little (laughs) bit of an age gap between Stephen Chow and and this uh, and her. But, you know, we're just running with it. Lee must now defend his love interest from the now betrayed uh, Henry Russell and all the other bounties that are after her. And now the target is on his back and the bounty hunter has become the hunted. And, you know, basically it's a little bit, you know, it's, (laughs) it's got, it's got a lot of stuff that you like in there. So you can't completely say this is all made for Ray. And I don't know. I know, I know you're a romance guy too. So you can't even put Ray in that box. 
So, and our composer is going to be their newly experimental, instrumental uh, space jazz album composition, whatever you want to call it, by King Gizzard. So, <laughs> you know, they had uh, they're really going off the deep end with this one, and you know, Hell we're yeah. going to be surprised, and we're in for a ride. So, sounds like uh, a fun movie. Wait, I have some questions. Okay, so shoot what you got the, you got some issues so this no i'm just curious you know the story so the guy accidentally blows up like a helicopter as he's well, jumping out a skydive or something he's exiting the aircraft and you know he, maybe he fist bumps a teammate or something but he accidentally a teammate you mean like a fucking there's this war so these aren't teammates well you know they're just on deployment so they don't have to be like in the midst of war but yeah if it makes more sense we can have them in, in like a, soldiers and like he kills battle. his whole squadron well, yeah, he's he's stepping off, you know, the the futuristic aircraft, and you know, I guess in twenty two forty nine they're still using you know pin grenades. So he accidentally right. pulls one, you know, just kind of you know he knocks one over. Maybe there's a grenade belt, whatever makes the explosion bigger. But you know, unfortunately, he's the only one getting off, and we're gonna make it make sense. It, it, it's gonna work. <laughs> but everybody else is basically on board, and by the time the grenade goes off, he's. You know, he gets blown back and he's just like, whoa, that was crazy. Like, I wonder what happened. So, you know. Oh, okay. So, nice. but so yeah. it's proven that he killed them all by accident. It's and now... proven that it's accidental and it's not, you know. But he still gets discharged. Yeah. He's, they're just like, then... dude, you're, you know, the military. The, and then the Walton Space Goggins Force. is like, you want to be a bounty hunter. He's, he's like, like, hey, man, I got this. I got this business. It's a little crazy. It's a sidewinder, but, you know stick with me and I'll show you the ropes and we'd make some good money. We'll make some good, you know, loot. And And, basically uh, Goggins is a psycho. That guy's, you know, that guy's a loose cannon basically. So that's, that's the angle I want him to play, but you know, he's good at his job, loose cannon. So, um, do you have a problem with Walton Goggins? It was between him or, you know, Danny McBride. I was just looking for that firecracker. You know, I wanted somebody to just really, just really mess up our, our main guy. It works. I mean, yeah, I'm not against it. it. I could see that role for him. And yeah, I don't know. I just figured, you know, as a military ex-military guy, if that's like that's your probably your your most likely next line of work. So you it's know, mostly like a lot of martial arts in this film, right? Yeah, there's going to be some martial arts. It can't be all. I, I was thinking gun fu, but uh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. But it could also be, you know, both. There could be, you know, I feel like guns are sometimes too easy, and this is the future, so. There's a ton of, you know, just, oh, there's a ton of just, you know, blank reasons that, that we could just, easy explanations is what I'm saying. I do so, want to yeah. know what happens next. It sounds just like a fun time. Mm-hmm. I love the vibe. I don't know. I'll send you the I, You had you me a little concerned. This sounded like a movie for Raymond, but I could enjoy this. I mean, it's certainly not like my go-to genre, but like I have a soft spot for a movie like this. Well, there you so, go. I don't know. Yeah. I just really wanted to bring back some action comedy. I know yeah. you're a big pineapple fan. Move. I know. I know it's bold not done well. Action but comedy is hard. Always. To do. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough. So, yeah, but if I don't you got know. good action, it's I was like looking for a challenge. Story. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. hmm. I'm. I am curious. I was also nice. thinking for you know our our love interest lead. Um, what's uh, Michelle Yeoh? Is that the the lead for? everything yeah. everywhere the, yeah the actress so. she's uh, yeah. i figured she would be more you know stephen chow's age so it would work a little bit better but i don't know 
I'd love to have I got, I got ideas. I got ideas, man. I think Ray wants to green light this for me. <laughs> Honestly, I green light it in a, in a heart. <laughs> Over lover of tomorrow. For sure. I was thinking, I just didn't want to give Stephen Chow the, the director and writer. I kind of yeah. wanted to mix in a little bit more. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. This is good. I'm, I'm very, very curious about it. Have my yeah, I was a little weary going into this with you because I, I, I knew this wasn't particularly perfectly, you know, made for you. I know there was some things you'd have to come around to, but I'm open to suggestions, baby. Just tell me and we'll fire whoever. I'll think about it. I'll think about <laughs> it. But I got to hear out Ray's pitch to fully make my decision. That's what it comes down to. I'd love to make this movie, but I can't make it. If there's another great idea on the table. All so right. let's I'm curious. We'll to, I'm curious to hear. All right. What well, I guess against? it's my turn. So, I mean, if you don't pick me, Jer, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to like not be your friend anymore because it took me like at least a week to make this script up. Um, That's all right, guys. Live. That'll do it for this week. <laughs> All right, listening. so See you next time. for everyone out there, that's a signifier that I've already lost. Um, what? Congratulations, brother. It's over. You don't know Woo! what I'm talking about at all. I'm all right, stoked. let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, and my so name's Richard. My pitch is The Ballad of Dirty Sanchez, written and directed by PTA, oh, wait. starring Javier Bardem and no, you're done, Luna. I didn't even get to tell you the title of my... Producers, PTA... Oh. Okay, you're screwed, brother. Producers, PTA... <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, Coen Brothers. They're trying to make a comeback after the ballad of... Slow down, slow down, Rich. Slow down. The score, the score. You're not interrupting my masterpiece, Rich. The score, I had to chop off my own leg, sell it to a black market just so I can get Ennio Morricone's last few pieces of music. Score, baby. Score. Synopsis. Let's get it. Chef Diego Salcedo, played by Diego Luna, has kept his town on the clean side of justice for 15 years. After refusing the Mexican outlaw Chico Villa, Javier Bardem, shelter in his town, Diego finds his wife brutally murdered later that night. He fortunately captures the perpetrator with a bullet straight into the ass. As the perpetrator bleeds out with a bullet, and stop, stop, bleeds out with a bullet to the buttocks. He's revealed to be a part of the Chico Villa gang, sending Chico's regards to Diego. With a bushy mustache and a round of brown bullets, Dirty Sanchez, firm, formerly known as Diego Salcedo, now wipes the ass of justice with dirty hands. How many towns can Chico safely wipe his ass before the dirt catches up to him? You steal a piece of Sanchez's heart, and he'll cap a steel bullet in your ass and make it brown. Good luck, Chico. Damn. Fuck. <laughs> so what? What's the choice? You got five seconds, big dog. All right, first of all, first of all, I still have the money, okay? Let's calm down. (laughs) Let's calm down for a second. All right. A few things. I love it. I want to know more about Dirty Sanchez. He scares me, but he also, I'm like, I'm drawn to him, right? Okay. Okay. Javier Bardem, is he the, who is he again? Chico Villa, the Mexican outlaw. Okay, and he's the antagonist? Yes, he is. Great casting, great casting. Now, what's so scary about Chico Villa? Man, oh man. Have you seen... (laughs) No country for old men. Hey, not my favorite, right? I ain't gonna say anything. I ain't gonna say anything. But you know, you shouldn't have brought you know. that up. That's bringing points down. Why? That's one of your favorites, bro. No, I'm saying you, you shouldn't have brought up that you don't like that movie because now. Oh, okay. You should yeah. be like, probably I- out there for like the 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 listeners are probably like this guy doesn't think that's his favorite. I'm yeah. so screwed. But- you guys see what we're dealing with now? Hey, 
it's not my favorite, but you know, I mean, right. I'm out here. Let me I'm just sorry. ask you something real quick. Did you see that I logged No Country for Old Men recently? Did you use that to your advantage? Be I honest. swear in my life, I did not know. Okay. I mean, like you guys always talk. I mean, I mean both have you and Rich disqualified like, you or anything, but I'm just you know that would have been. No, tactical. I actually didn't. But um, right. I know that you love westerns, so I had to go with the western yes. vibe. I wanted yeah. to throw out some, you know, comedic laughter in there, of course, too. But, you know, Javier Bardem, I just feel like he's just an amazing actor. I think we can go in so many different ranges, okay. especially as a Mexican outlaw. You're doing it justice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Hey, man, think the Black Plague. Think the Black Plague. Okay. Think the Black Plague. Now, um, I want a character that hmm. basically he's like uh, he's an outlaw. Yeah. But he he shoots the foreskin off of his enemies. Okay. <laughs> I was not prepared for that question. They call him Force, Foreskin Phil. Foreskin and, Phil. Yeah. Okay, talk to me. Who do you think can play Foreskin Phil? We I gotta, don't know. We, we got to go with the white boy on that one. We got to go with the white boy, scrawny man. Uh, you know, Foreskin Phil, huh? Foreskin yeah. Phil. Okay, that's that's pretty good. What's his last name? Foreskin Phil. Uh, he just goes by Foreskin Phil. Yeah, damn, he, so he's it's just like, known for shooting off foreskins. Damn. Hey, maybe but, they can team up, man. But I want a twist where okay. somebody tries to avenge themselves for their, their loss of foreskin and mm. shoots him in the dick, making okay. him penisless Pete. Penisless Pete. Okay, so there's there's some good trend. You know what, man? Dude, you have some great transitions here because I, I imagine Diego becoming Dirty Sanchez because he's just not a clean guy anymore. And I love that transition of becoming a good person. At least Diego, right? Mm-hmm. He's a great guy, great sheriff, but he sees the world for what it is, dirty. And he's going to use that Dirty Sanchez on those motherfuckers. Hell but yeah. now we got this guy, Foreskin Phil. We can really we can really dig in, man. It's about transformation. It's about growth. <laughs> It's about development and seeing the world for what it is. Dick mm-hmm. or no dick. Dick or no dick. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, the, the, what's the title? Full title again? The Ballad of Dirty Sanchez. And Ennio's coming back from the grave. No, 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 no. I chopped off my leg, sold it to the black market just so I can get a grab of Ennio's old, unused scores okay. so if you don't pick me i will literally be in the wheelchair for the rest of my fucking life i'm serious i i need an operation to get my ch- like 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 a leg back come on well you could always you know just you know beg on the street here you go yeah that's that's not happening that's not happening this is a hell of a pitch man yeah no, this is it's, a hell of a pitch it's pretty good i mean you're the bravado in your pitch Thank and you. in your characters is it's very uh compelling hey man it's about life it's about growth it's about development that's, all right that's... i want to ask i want to put this between both of you guys these are both okay. great these are both great stories you got you and look at me i'm the spaced cowboy right so you are rich has got cowboy. the space oh and you've got the cowboy yes i'm torn right i don't know so We're making I'm, a double feature, baby. <laughs> I would love to, but I only have enough money to make one of these things. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, Rich, first of all, you got to tell me the title of your film because you didn't get to. I wish I capped it off at the end of my you know, pitch because it would have just hit so much harder. But the title of your potential film is called Love Let Loose. 
Ooh. Damn. That's pretty, pretty good. good. That's pretty good. And our main character, what's his name again? Uh, it is Lee. Lee Jacobs. Lee Jacobs. So let's just say Lee Jacobs and Dirty <laughs> Sanchez met up. How would this fight go down? You guys tell me. All right. All right. Well, you know, he's going to cap it steel bullet in his ass that's for sure it, it's gonna come out of his dick but it's gonna be brown and yeah my brother i'm telling you that motherfucker lee he's not getting up from that shit Holy he's the quickest hand in the motherfucking west oh man well i guess that stumps the Django who Django who okay i don't know isn't there a possibility that lee jacobs knew this was gonna happen and just as Dirty Sanchez walks over to his corpse, he realizes that the grenade in Jacob's <laughs> hand has been, the pin has been pulled. Does he go I'll down with what. him? What happened? Honestly, no. Does Ray, he go down? Ray hit me really quick with that. Honestly, Ray, you might take that one. I got nothing. <laughs> Maybe uh, he just hears the sound of the grenade pin. Just. Oh, man. That's true. Gary Sanchez ends up shitting himself in the pants. I don't but- know, Jerry. You're you're coming to my movie's defense. I think I, I think I know what movie you want to make now at this point. Like, well, you're defending my movie for me. I don't. I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing you very, very. Interested I do like in your. Film. I die, I do like your your story though. I'm just like I'm trying to see because now I want to see. I want to see a crossover. Basically, the space cowboy. Crossover. Hey man, you got to make one of them first, and then we'll make a crossover. We'll see who who gets made first. Let's make it like that huh if 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 the ballad of dirty sanchez makes a lot of money we're making we're making uh love let loose we could do sequel spinoffs we could make a lot of money off of your, your <laughs> we, could, we could do we that could do we, penisless we pete gets his own movie oh my god we could god. even do one gap gap tooth gary he's gap he's tooth known gap, oh, gap that, tooth gary because nice, he shoots yeah. people through their two front teeth gives them a gap tooth yeah um we could do, yeah. I mean, there's so many possibilities, and then even a prequel for uh, Javier. How do you Bergen's shoot somebody character. through the teeth without blowing the rest of their head off? No, he does that. He kills them, but he leaves them with oh. a gap tooth as a final you know, flourish. His, his, his That's how card, they know yeah. he did it because they yeah. look. They're like, check his mouth, check his teeth. Son of a bitch. Gap tooth care. <laughs> Oh my god, fuck. Ray, honestly, it's almost like I don't even know if it was the movie or just you taking my breath away with how you pitched this movie to me. But Appreciate you got it. you put me like I'm just like, whoa. So much so much manliness. I love it. So Appreciate you, appreciate The Ballad of Dirty Sanchez. Is that yes, what it's sir. called? The Ballad mm-hmm. of Dirty Sanchez. I will have to say the ballad of Dirty Sanchez not only gets the green light, but it may start a future cinematic universe. <laughs> Congratulations, Ray. You're Thank you, This is for Dirty Sanchez. <laughs> I'm just glad Jared didn't win three times in a row. <laughs> it's a literal impossibility. I know, but there still seemed like there was a chance. <laughs> It's like I After came the, up with my own pitch. <laughs> yeah, like, I thought these wouldn't be that great. So I, I came win. up with my own. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> oh fuck. That was that was crazy. Fuck. So we have Lovers of Tomorrow, Dancing in the Dark, and The Ballad of Rudy Sanchez. We do. Yeah. Now if we were to make our cinematic universe to tie all these films together, the RDC 
cinematic universe. Uh-huh. The RDCU. Mm-hmm. The RDCCU. I don't know how you want to call it. How do we do that? How do we tie oh, in a Disneyland love story with an 80s, 1980s crime flick with an, a Western? Dude, <laughs> a, it's like a weirdly sexual perverted <laughs> Western. It's like the good, the bad, a and the violently ugly. It's sexual. Like the, the lover, yeah. the, the lover, the dancer, and the dirty. <laughs> The lover, I want to know how they cross and the dirty. That's yeah, and great. The dirty. Yo, that's yeah, great. let's do that. But how? Okay, but see, Rich, you didn't want the DeLorean, but I mean, that might be the only way to tie yeah, these. That's the only way together. we're going back. <laughs> just the just the time jump factor, uh, or the time travel factor. Yeah, that's no. the only way. It's too iconic, man. You'll you'll diminish okay. your universe. Okay, so what if what if our main character, the dancer, is a descendant? of dirty sanchez that's a possibility Dude, that would be pretty cool yeah he could be a descendant or he could be a descendant of penisless p <laughs> <Could be. laughs> oh my god Forrest good filler penisless p i don't know he's both he's they're both different but wait wait whoa what i dropped my phone oh shit and then uh okay then you have this the the disneyland how does that fucking tie in? That's what I was thinking of first. Was okay. That one has Disneyland. to do with thieves, though, right? So there's a crime element there. Yeah, maybe Dirty Sanchez hears about pickpockets in Disneyland. Wait, Florence Pugh could be if that's present day. That's you picture that being present day, right? Lovers of Tomorrow. That's the yeah. that's the final. That's why it's called Lovers of Tomorrow because it's like, you know, it goes in sequence. You know, 1800s, then 1980s, and then the 2020s. Mm-hmm. And then I think Florence Pugh could be the daughter of the dancer and the girl when they inevitably get married. Mm-hmm. Maybe, right? Because I, I can kind of see it. Okay, I, I was thinking more: how are we going to make these characters like get on you know screen together? But this seems well, like it's going to be more. Of I a, mean, it's like hard a, without the fucking DeLorean to take them in time. Like, there's no way. I mean, you could still have dancer and 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 um you know in lovers of tomorrow or in a version of that as the dad he's older mm. but you know i don't know if we can do anything about dirty sanchez other than the dancer being a descendant and that's why he's like kind of a gunslinger type he's like a modern day cowboy or something i was gonna say wait dirty sanchez takes place not present day or present day when does it take place right ray like what Wait, did you what? have? Thirty Sanchez? Are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back in the eighteen hundreds, like yeah, you know. that's why I okay. figured. Yeah, it's like a hundred. It's like over a hundred years before the events of Dancing in the Dark. So hmm. maybe, maybe like I don't know. There's like a young Walt Disney somewhere there, and it gives them an idea for fucking Disneyland or I don't know. Is there anything Western in Disney? <laughs> when was Walt Disney Frontier born? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thunder Mountain. Fr- Thunder Mountain. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> there should be a final battle at Thunder Mountain. <laughs> and that's what about. and i'm isn't sure we could it, isn't that what it's uh that's the western one right ray the train yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so there you go you could have it there there could be a fucking a train sequence similar to the one in uh in um what's that fucking johnny depp western that disneyland disney made uh it's a disney movie it's is oh, it's, the lone ranger yes yeah that's the lone is. ranger 
the Lone Ranger. So you could have like a train sequence like that, and it takes and it goes up in a Thunder Mountain. There, there's a connection there too. Oh, we all got it. We can tie it together. We could tie it together. It would be cool to have <laughs> them all on screen, though. Like it's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. That's enough of green light. We're gonna move on to the other things that we watch throughout the week. Um, I know that I didn't watch anything throughout the week, but Rich, Jared, did you guys watch anything other than the terror? Other than the terror, I watched uh, Bill Burr's new special. His uh, live at red rock special it's not really a movie but if you're into stand-up comedy <laughs> like Bill Burr. <laughs> well i told you guys i also watched uh i've been watching <laughs> it's not a fucking movie it's parts unknown with anthony bourdain i don't know why i've been on it this guy and... turns 27 he's like i'm just gonna only watch old people shit i'm just gonna watch anthony I know, bourdain bill documentaries Bill Burr talking about more fatherhood shit like more <sighs> jokes about that extremely like even like political gags. You know, like, then, yeah, I guess I I'm better just, start acting 30. I'm just watching the fucking travel channel with Anthony Bourdain, like in Monaco or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I like Bill Burr specials, but the Anthony Bourdain shit is definitely like middle-aged. I don't know. Vibes. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, that I guy's mean, a character how too, often, man. How often do you think about the fact that he, you know, he's, he's gone um i honestly that's the only reason i'm kind of trying to get into now because i didn't really realize why he was such a profound character in like you know the culinary world but he was also a writer too obviously he had his his book uh kitchen confidential which i which i just picked up so you could call me middle-aged for sure but uh um but yeah i guess that's the book that really launched him into stardom uh for you know just he's as much as he is a chef, he is also as much a writer and the way he translates his thought. You know, he's funny. He's, he's you know, really, uh, he's a really humorous guy. He has a very dirty mind, but uh, he's also very eloquent with the way he... I respect you know, that. You know, just, he's a man of culture, so it's really cool to see him uh, appreciate uh, everywhere he goes. And even, you know, that guy talks about, you know, even In-N-Out being his favorite burger, just unapologetically. He praises Waffle House, too, as like, yeah. the, you know, number one, like, 2 a.m. You're drunk as hell. Yeah. Where do you go eat Waffle House? That guy has no, that, that guy, like, you know, that guy finds, you know, what makes him happy and he doesn't care if it's just generally frowned upon by, mm-hmm. by most, which is, uh, I don't know. I think I kind of see some of that in uh, some of our ratings for just movies, you know, given the fucking bench warmers, you know, four and a half stars. <laughs> that last one might be just me, but. I don't know what your rating was, Jared, but you know you don't have it at four and a half. I have it up there, and if I don't, I should. You have it at a five because if you had it at a four, well, and a there half, you go. Guilty. I don't fucking know. Five. I didn't want to say I have it at a five and then double check and have it at a four and a half. You don't. You checked me on that really quick, but it's up there oh, yeah. for me. You know that's that's comedy gold. Yeah, and and I don't care if you know people. So I don't know. I thought that was always cool about uh, Bourdain is he's he finds just you know what he likes and what he thinks other people should like, but uh, even if it's not again, generally accepted, he um, speaks for the people. I love it a little bit. Yeah. He's, he definitely hated the, the hacks, uh, you know, the, uh, the celebrity chef snobs, basically that, you know, were just celebrities because they were just held in such high regard. So yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, hmm. Anthony where the shit. He's a cool dude. Missed that guy. Never met him. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I watched I f- watched and completed the before trilogy, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. And let me just tell you, Ray, Mr. Romance, you got to watch yes, these sir. movies. These movies are made for you. And I'm not a rom-com guy, really, or I don't typically love all romantic films. If they're well-written, well-acted, sure, like this one is. But this is definitely not only one of the, just the best romance films ever made, but just one of the best trilogies ever made. Like It's very rare to think of a trilogy that is as consistent as these films. Like I would say mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings are up there. You know, even some of the best trilogies, like they they tend to dip after the second one. That's where they always have problems with the third. Like even star original Star Wars, like there's a bit of a dip after Empire. They're still all great, but you can sense a dip. Even Back to the Future, even um, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And so I don't know. It's very rare to think of like solid, solid trilogies. It's very rare. Usually they get. If they don't get really bad by the second, they get really bad by the third most of the time. But this one, it was cool how they shot it. Like they, they came back to do a sequel every nine years. So the, the actors are aging and the characters are too. And every movie's doing something different, saying something different. I don't want to get too much into it because it's kind of fun not knowing where their relationship goes. Um, because it's like, you know, everyone ends on kind of a cliffhanger. And you wonder, like, oh, are they going to meet again in 10 years, you know, or are they going to meet like they said they would? And, you know, so but I really love that each film does everything, does something different and does it very, very well. Um, Mm -hmm. They're all just fantastic, like some of Linklater's best work. It's amazing that he did Dazed and Confused and then did Before Sunrise, which I know you've seen that, right, Rich? Before Sunrise? Yeah, I've seen Before Sunrise. I haven't watched the other two. I think I've Um, only seen... um... Uh, boyhood other than like Days and Confused. Know. You haven't seen so, you've I seen mean, School there of Rock. There might be like other Oh yeah, that too, but I mean I'm thinking like with Ethan Hawk and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I I still I think I still like the first one the most, but like it's not saying a whole lot because I think they're all incredible. Like it's That's... not so like the first one is easily the best and the other two are fine. It's like I think they're all great. Um I just personally prefer the first one, the pure romance of it, the intensity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that one is all full of the possibilities of what could happen. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the most fun part about falling in love, right? It's like, you know, this person that you don't know all their flaws. You don't know all the ways in which they might drive you crazy, but you have all this, you know, time to discover the things you like about them and, get excited about that and, and just kind of fill up your head, like with the possibilities of what, what could be. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the other two movies get more into, I guess the realism of relationships, but yeah, it's really, really good shit. Uh, so yeah, I love the before trilogy. Hell yeah. Uh, you guys yeah. I think, I think it is cool though that, uh, that they, I didn't know that the, the second one ends on a cliffhanger too. Um, yeah, but uh, but that that's kind of like what made me want to watch uh, more. It, it, like you should watch the second one, and I think you know I'll get around to that soon because the fact that that first one does, um, it's it's very you know you just want to check out the other one. But I, I honestly wasn't I wasn't crazy about it like to begin with before sunrise. I thought it was very kind of 
clumsy and awkward, which I guess realizing I don't know now what the it's fuck you're talking it's about. supposed to be like that. I don't know why. <laughs> like Ethan Hawke's character gives me a little bit of like creepy confidence at first because again, this is a guy that she's just meeting. It's very sporadic and unexpected. Um, but I, I do kind of get that, you know, it's things like that when you first are getting to know somebody, it can be a little, you know, unconventional. It can get awkward in conversation or something. And I don't know. The movie definitely has a very grounded, realistic uh, tone to it. Uh, and just for the writing and dialogue. Uh, I think it's very I, I honest it. and authentic to the characters. Like, I don't think it's trying. I think like the way the movie is and the, and the tone is like trying to paint this idyllic perfect romance like of falling in love but at the same time the characters are realistically flawed and they're yeah. realistically awkward and they're realistically kind of like a little pretentious in the things they talk about but you know it doesn't matter because that's so human like they don't mm -hmm. exist to represent the you know richard linklater's genuine thoughts and feelings about how the way things are like it's meant to show these two young people and what they think of the world and how they perceive the world and how they're communicating that and a lot of it is a little bit, you know, clumsy, I guess. Some of it is compelling. The way they're, it's all about their chemistry rather than what they're actually saying. I didn't think and, it was a perfect romance, but, you know, I guess that's, again, that's a very, right. That's also thing the that realistic. But like, there's yeah. no actual, that's why it's not like actually perfect. But in terms of like the tone and almost the convenience of it, it seems perfect. Like, but it's also still grounded in a reality. And I just love, and it leans, it does feel writing. exciting to, you know, to kind of just see that because you're just with these two people the whole time and you see, you know, how fast the relationship develops mm -hmm. and just them getting to know each other. It's very, very obviously closely focused on them. So, yeah, um, I guess that's not easy to do, obviously, you know, to write all that, you know, all this dialogue between these two characters. Well, I think Ethan uh, Hawke and, and uh, Julie Delpy do help with a lot with the writing. They put it they put their own writing and ideas into their characters. Oh, that's, to that's help really out, cool. To but know, like. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why it feels very authentic and they work together. They kind of write together, all three of them. But uh, I just think it's so impressive that like your whole film is just dialogue. It, you know, you you're just don't even realize they start at like one end of a park and you're just so compelled by the conversation, so engrossed that it like almost hypnotizes you. You don't even realize necessarily the action or the movement of the camera. You're just fixed on them and what they're mm -hmm. saying. You don't realize they've been traveling half across the town in in one single shot and they've just been talking, but like, it doesn't ever feel boring. It's just so like transfixing. That's really impressive. Like to have dialogue that doesn't overstay its welcome. And, it, and it, in fact, it just flows just con consistently with ease. Yeah. Like with everywhere they go. Like yeah. On the, on the, uh, on, the, on the train car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So super impressive as a, as a, you know, an experiment to make a movie like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, really love the before trilogy. Other than that, I just watched a bunch of uh, short films. I, sh I juiced. I'll be honest. I was juicing my numbers. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what I've been trying to do, man. I'm trying to juice my numbers on like the movie watching. But yeah, I mean, I juice with movies, but that's not necessarily juicing. Cause like you're still putting in, you know, the time to watch you know two hour movie that's like you earned that but with bro i saw you log a ball of bees <laughs> on letterbox <laughs> earlier this week <laughs> yes that does, <laughs> that does not count that does not count that's why it's juicing you know, it's, a, it's like illegal i'm, I'm juicing that doesn't I'm even count as juicing steroiding. 
that's you don't know what juicing is if you well, think that's it's not juicing. trying bro like i don't know like that's Juice, the shortest juic- of short okay, let's films, define bro. juicing juicing i is... understand what you're saying but i wouldn't even count that as like even juicing i just count that as nothing that's like saying i watched a fucking commercial and i consider that juice you don't like, know what no. juicing is you don't know I, what juicing is if that's not juicing. i understand juicing in no, a you more don't. Bro, you're you saying don't. you're trying to juice your numbers in the sense where you're trying to pump them up and make it seem like you watched a lot more than what you actually did. Is this what I'm getting? Or yes, no, which involves logging a lot of short films that are like five minutes to uh, two minutes long. Doesn't matter. Like, you know, Guy Scratching His Ass is the name of the film. It's two minutes long. Yeah, it's not a film and it shouldn't it shouldn't count as a log, but that's what makes it juicing because I logged it anyway to pump my uh, I guess I have a less... Uh, I mean, it's valid it's way of juicing. It's illegitimate <laughs> that it is juicing. It's just like saying, like, I oh, you use like, steroids to win that fight. That's not juicing. It's like that's literally what it is. No, I, I consider it like, and I'm thinking like, oh, I watched you know a, a 20, 30 minute short film, like a proper short film, not some fucking you know that's video. Valid. That's more valid. It's still that's, kind of juicing. I consider that like, I guess I it's technical juicier when or... it's more illegitimate. It's more. Dishonest. All right. Well, sorry. I was just saying it's a fucking ball of peas <laughs> and I don't think that counts for shit. It sorry. You're like, right. I'm owning up to it. It's like, I want to well, be more guilty than you're. Claiming. And again, I'm just saying it doesn't even count as juicing. That's like drinking fucking water and saying I took steroids in my opinion. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> Well, water is good for you. You got to have water every day. Everybody you don't drinks have to water. have Fuck ball you. of bees. Number one by David Lynch. Five minutes long. <laughs> the synopsis is bees buzz together for approximately five minutes. <laughs> and uh, only 39 people have logged this. This is technically a deep cut. I was doing deep cut research. And you know what's fucked up? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know what's crazy, dude? I, uh, I think I started something. Okay. Be- oh, wait. No, maybe I did. No, I think Elaborate. I did. Here's the deal. Nobody uh, nobody logged a, re- a review for this film but me. I was the first person to write a review for Ball of Bees number one on Letterboxd. There was zero reviews. On July 27th, I said, yep, that's a Ball of Bees, all right. <laughs> and then after that, July 28th, Bees. July 28th. Is that a ball of bees? <laughs> These are different <laughs> reviews. July 28th. Can't wait for number two since it's ball of bees number one. When are we getting ball of bees number two? July 30th. July 30th. Most accurate, accurate depiction of any Lynch film. You know, it goes on and on. The most, ac- you know, all of this, all of these reviews happened after I logged. So I helped the world discover ball of bees <laughs> number one. It's no longer a deep cut then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i kind of fucked it up it was my little secret man dang you're that's one me- of 40 people man of 39 that's so weird to, i really yeah. was the first person to write a review for this film What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck uh, but yeah so you know i was watching a bunch of lynch shorts and then i watched a bunch of safety brothers shorts and you know juicing again some of them are like 12 minutes and some of them are like 30 minutes and um so you know and some were pretty good. Some were whatever. Some were like, just mm-hmm. what did I just watch? But I juiced a lot. I'll be honest. I did do a lot of fucking like wipe my ass with this two minute short film type of fucking movies. And you caught me on it. I'm not, I'm not hiding it. It's literally log. I no, I, I wanted to bring that one up because I was cracking up and <laughs> I read your review for that. And I was it's like, I don't even need to watch this. I, at this point, I fucking know what this is. <laughs> like, yeah, so, I mean, I see people juice all the time. It is, it's a weird thing because it's like, yes, I do want to log the short films I watch because 
I'm a completist like that. That's fine. I'm not mad you logged it. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I, I don't care if you choose. No, I don't out. care like, either. I'm if just it's saying, loggable, fucking log it, you know? Like, realistically, it's hard to not juice if you want to log short films because it's like, where do you draw the line? You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess a minute long is like not something, but sometimes I want to like finish a whole director's filmography and that's, that's what counts. So it's like, if I have seen it, I'm going to log it. That's what I was kind of trying to do. I was low key, just like trying to fill out my percentage of Lynch shit scene because it's super satisfying. I've only done that for one director and it's PTA which took a while because every director has like a fucking shit ton, especially big ones. They have a shit ton of little short films that are kind of tricky to find. And then I, uh, I watched Scorsese. I watched the last waltz, really great concert film. Um, and, uh, it was a blast. Good, good ass concert movie. Great show. Um, Neil Young was probably the best part of it. Apparently he had a, chunk of cocaine in his nostril that they had to edit out in post-production but like that dude looks thrashed so you can pretty much you don't need to edit out the cocaine out of his nose to know that guy was on something but he was having a great time uh did he do uh he did like a scorsese directed another um he does a lot of uh bob dylan docs okay does he have one for does he have one for the stones or no yeah uh i think so yeah he does I think that's the one I was I forget what that, that I'm recalling, called. but, uh, um, but yeah. Really um, cool. And then I watched, a, then I got into more Scorsese shorts because I was like, fuck, I want to do some short Scorsese. Um, and it was cool. I loved, I loved all of his stuff. It was, there was some really good, it was interesting to see, especially the one. It's not just you, Murray. Uh, that one is I recommend people watch it. It's not amazing or anything. It's really short. It's like 17 minutes, but it's just so cool because he made that in 1964 where he's very young and you can just see the little elements of like his very famous, uh, you know, his tried and true rise and fall formula of like, I'm going to tell a story about a guy who goes from rags to riches, you know, and he gets everything in the world and then he loses it all, you know, and, and that is kind of in here. The ingredients for that formula is in this. So he was already kind of interested in that telling ambitious stories like that, you know, it shows him, it shows this character, you know, start off working like a shitty, you know, manual labor type job. And then he gets the opportunity by the scum scummy guy, but he gives him all this wealth and then he meets his wife and you see the wedding. So like, that's already kind of sounding like a Scorsese, like kind of his, his formula of just showing a guy's life and rising and then showing it kind of fall apart toward the end. Um, but yeah, so that one was cool. Recommend that. And then I watched, I've watched a bunch more Agnes Varda and she's just great, man. She's just so, such an awesome filmmaker. Um, and, um, uh, is she more recent or who's that? I no, she, Ag- Agnes, Agnes uh, Varda is director. like French new wave. She's, she's dead now. She died in 2019, oh, but, Spoilers, uh, bro. she Dang. was, <laughs> she was, she's just an awesome, she used to do some fiction stuff and then she did moved on to more documentarian. Um, but she does a lot of movies that are kind of just showing uh, either tip, either focusing on, you know, women's lives and their experiences or kind of showing this, the lot, the kind of mundane lives of everyday people, but turning it into something kind of poetic. Like I watched the gleaners and I, which is about people who pick up the leftover, you know, food from harvests. Um, and it's a whole thing where like, you know, it's wasted food if people don't glean it. 
uh, which is just picking it up. So, you know, but the, it becomes this whole political issue. Like, should people be allowed to do that? And it's like, yeah, otherwise it's waste food. Like, why not let people that are hungry? And, you know, she kind of goes through this whole, like, she explores the culture of what it means to glean and why it is the way it is and how much food is wasted. And I know you and I both worked in a restaurant and like, it's disgusting how much food it gets wasted and that happens all over the world. And she just tries to make sense of all that kind of shit. And uh, that's almost one of those things you just become a, what's the desensitized to. Yeah. You just become numb to it. You just give up about it, but it still sucks. But yeah, she puts a really strong lens on that and she always kind of puts herself into her documentaries, which is cool. And, yeah, I, I really like her as a filmmaker. She's awesome. Her editing's great. She's just very playful. She knows how to turn a, a heavy subject into something light and beautiful. And um, finished off with a Scorsese film that not many people know about and have seen, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is the perfect movie to show somebody who says that Scorsese doesn't know how to write female characters because this movie is all about the working class woman protagonist is a single mother um her husband passes away and she has to figure out like how she's going to support herself and her kid and it kind of becomes this road movie and it sounds depressing you know she's trying to pick up her dead dreams of being a singer and seeing if she can do that but she's really quickly hit with the reality of that and how predatory men are and while this all sounds very depressing it, it balances like melancholy and humor very well i like laughed a lot in this film her son the kid who plays her son is hysterical. He's such a little shit smart ass. Like I would hate to deal with him as if he was my son, but as, as a character in a movie, super entertaining. I mean, you do feel bad for her because she's really trying, but like there's also a sweetness there. You know, they have this very like unique dynamic. That's like that kid has a mouth on him, but at the same time, like even she knows it's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked Alice that, doesn't live here anymore. Is, is that a criticism for Scorsese that, uh, big time, people big have time. that he doesn't know how to, or he just doesn't write. I feel like he does know how to write a female character. Well, it's just like they, they don't, people don't have, or are they know, just, people have issues with the representation. Really. Yeah. Okay. And I understand that, but it's like, the thing is like a lot of this, a lot of the stories Scorsese writes exist in like men's worlds, you know, the yeah. mafia. They're very much and, 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 and they and he does criticize the the male bravado. He does criticize, you know, toxic masculinity. Is this the problem is the the women in those stories don't have a lot of agency. They're usually seen as like the nagging wife or the punching bag, you know, the woman that gets mm-hmm. thrown around and tossed, you know, you just pushed to the side. And that is the reality of the situation. And it does it's not necessarily an indictment of like that's how he views women. It's not, he endorses that he usually has it as a point of critique, but I think I understand that, you know, if you want to, if you're going into that and you want to see strong female character, you won't get it. That's the reality, but it's not coming from a point of sexism or ignorance because you watch a movie like this and he absolutely does sympathize, you know, with uh, women's struggles. This movie is very, very focused on that. So, um, it's not like he makes a lot of movies like Alice doesn't live here anymore, but at the very least he does explore a lot of different territories and, and storytelling. And, you know, it's, it's not like he's just the mafia guy, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. just what people know him for. So yeah, I really like that, that film. It's funny. Cause the uh, main actress, Ellen Burstein, she plays the mom in exorcist. And I, you know, thought it was funny that, She's just really good at playing a mom who gets terrorized by their foul mouthed child <laughs> for the whole movie. Did you recognize her? 
Uh, uh, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. She's also, I don't know, I did not recognize her in Interstellar. She plays uh, the daughter, Jessica Chastain's daughter Murph, when she's an old woman. Oh, no way. Yeah. So. Uh, what, in the hospital bed scene, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I always thought, I don't know, just when you said that, I was thinking, yes, Chris, is he, he fleshes out his female characters a good amount. I think it's just, just the, the ones that I can think, but yeah, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. I thought I just thought I don't know. I don't necessarily I, agree, I but I can thought, understand that perspective. I, yeah, I can see that you know people probably see something can they're noticing yeah. like a pattern in some of his bigger movies. Yeah, um, I just don't think it's as malicious or as you know coming from a point of ignorance or anything like that as yeah. people make it out. I think he's a he's a very smart, well-rounded dude. So. But yeah, that's all. That's all my watches. All right, guys, that'll do it for season one of the Real Deep Cuts podcast. Um, it's been a monumental ten weeks for me, and it's been a hell of a journey going with these guys. I know it's only the beginning, but it's been a pleasure uh, for season one, at least for me. If you guys have anything else to say, go ahead, Jaron Rich. Uh, season ten finale. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking forward to season two. You guys are gonna like what we have in store you guys are gonna have to wait until next year unfortunately but we will be back just please don't forget about us that's not the truth (laughs) we'll be back sooner than that Um, and my name is richard and my name is richard (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah we'll be back uh we got some uh we got some sweet treats lined up for you motherfuckers so stay stay patient hell yeah We'll be back like we never left, really. But, you know, this is just a way to mark our first big step. Big 10. You know, a lot of podcasts don't make it to 10. On average, they drop off after seven. So the fact that we even made it to eight shows that we did not fall victim to what is known as pod fading. We did not pod fade into that gentle night. We persevered and we kept going. We were not a statistic. We were not a statistic. So, yeah, I mean, thanks for everyone who made it this far. You know, if you listened from episode one all the way to here, that is really cool. You get a special, special high five for that. Um, (laughs) If you don't, if you didn't do that and you kind of like skipped around, you know, you get you don't get the bad ending, but you get like the mediocre ending. You know, it's like, ah, it's like, yeah, you're you're cool. Thanks. Thanks for showing up every now and then. And if you only are listening to this episode <laughs> and you haven't listened to anything else, um, then you don't know what I'm talking about at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, thanks again, Ray. Uh, you're a fantastic host. Thank Rich, you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being everything that this podcast needed between two cinephiles and you, somebody who wants to embark on this journey the deep cuts i gave it i gave it everything i had i gave it the good the good college try i'm gonna cry right now dude i don't know i'm gonna i can't believe we've been doing this for 10 weeks <laughs> like it's insane can't wait like, I for feel our 10 like year mark all right oh my god 10 <laughs> weeks to 10 years i'm gonna be like 37 years old at that point oh i think god. i think the biggest one will be like our next big milestone would be like our 100th episode or something i don't know that's a, that's in a lot so? of seasons but i think that's i think it will be our one year because uh, that's that, like 52 weeks that, right i mean that and yeah definitely our 100th episode will have to yeah. be something yeah
something to look forward to. But I don't know. That's like, you know, that's if none of us, you know, die before then. It's <laughs> some tragic accident. We make it there. So. But you got to send us out, Ray. Like one last time for this season. All right, guys. That'll do it for this week and this entire season. <laughs> don't forget, you guys can follow us on Letterboxd. My name is Raymond. You can follow me at R-A-Y-A-M-P-A-R-O. And my name is Richard. <laughs> One last and you can time. follow me <laughs> at Dick Fisco. Uh, that's D-I-C-K-V-I-S-C-O at Letterboxd. And my name is Jeremy. And you can follow me at Spaced Cowboy. S-P-A-C-E-D-C-O-W-B-O-Y. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. My name is fucking Richard.